Welcome back to Your Story, the only podcast where our guests tell theirs with the help of 12 questions in ideally under 30 minutes. Uh, this week we are joined by Luke Woods. Luke is a managing director at Aptic, a fast-growing app development business based in Essex. Luke, thank you for joining us. We are thrilled to have you here today. Hey, Mike. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Likewise. So I'll start here. What does a managing director at a fast-growing app development business do, and what is your what does your role look like there? Very good question. I like that. Um, where to start? I mean, realistically, as a managing director, you know, we start off with having to do everything right. You know, you have to cover all the bases. However, uh, realistically, my role now predominantly is sales, marketing, and sort of delivery management. I don't have to do so much of the work anymore. Uh, I've got a comprehensive team that I use to get a lot of that sort of stuff done. So uh, my main task really is just looking at the growth plans, keeping it going forwards, and, and yeah, keeping the business growing in the right direction. Okay. Generally, in in my conversations with business owners or people in similar roles, it's hard to remove yourself from the day-to-day or the things that you were good at beforehand. How has that process been for you? And uh, what does your team look like now as opposed to when you started? So this is, yeah, okay. So I, li- I actually like this topic quite a lot because it's, you're right, a lot of people, I said the same for myself, and I speak to a lot of business owners, they really struggle to give something up, especially the thing that they went into the business for most. So for example, in my situation as an app developer, you know, say I was really struggling to get the, actually give away the coding because that was the bit that I enjoyed perhaps. Um, however, to be honest, before I, or kind of as my business began, I spent a lot of time actually looking into leadership, which is quite um, an interesting approach, I think, because obviously I have no team to lead. So it's a little odd to have to look at leadership. But from that, it helped me to really kind of understand what to look out for and to, to really think, okay, well, actually to build a very strong, successful business, if you compare it against those that are massive and successful, you you need to be able to give things away or hire people that are much better than you. And that's where I was actually very, uh, because of my, I have a vision of having multiple businesses and I don't want to be, I don't want to be stuck in the day to day forever. You know, I want to be able to manage all these businesses and just be at that sort of higher level where I'm managing and, and sort of, uh, I guess you could be, uh, say, uh, being a visionary, looking at where the businesses can all go. I, I just, it actually made that transition a lot easier for me because I was like, well, you know, I need to have all these things working, you know, coding, marketing, sales, etc. And so, you know, on my journey, I'm like, cool, if I have someone, if I now need that bit replaced, I will find someone that's better than me at doing it, bring them in, have them do it, succeed, and then actually learn from them. So that I can build that foundational knowledge of all these different aspects of business. I, yeah. I love that. I love that answer. I'm going to kind of dig into parts of it. Uh, the first part cool. being, I'm going to steal a word that you used, visionary. I think it's amazing foresight of yours to look into the leadership piece before you had a team to lead. I think that's pretty brilliant. Uh, what types of things did you learn that you did not expect to learn as you went down that path? So... To be honest, I didn't. I uh, have had the best experience of leadership in the past. Like you know, I've only really worked in sort of like part-time jobs, and you know, I've only had a one or two sort of actual professional career roles before I decided to go self-employed. So I guess you could say I've not had lots of sort of leaders to look up to. 
Um, however, you know, <laughs> a lot of it started because I um, initially was really interested in Jocko Willink. Uh, he's an ex-Navy SEAL guy. Uh, really, really cool guy. Um, you know, he was a, well, he wasn't just an ex-Navy SEAL. He was like a, you know, a commander or he was really, really high ranking. Um, and he basically looked after SEAL teams, which is you know, a pretty serious situation. Um, and so from him, I watched a lot of his podcasts. It's very, really good. And he's also got four books. I've not read them all, but a lot of them are around leadership. And so anyway, from absorbing his content, it made me really realize that you know, a lot of it actually falls down to you can take responsibility for everything. If, if I take responsibility for absolutely everything, um, Gary Vee actually talks about a similar thing. But basically, if I'm responsible for everything, no matter what happens at any level of the business, if something goes wrong, if it's my fault, then it's very easy to actually deal with things and move forward faster. And so I want to explain this a little bit more because it sounds a bit crazy, perhaps. But like, say you have a thousand people, right? Let's go really, really wild. <clears throat> and some like, I don't know, a developer who's just a developer, you know, he's not like a manager or a supervisor or a C-level, he's just a developer um, and he makes a mistake. Right? Like, you know, he misses a client requirement or something. Arguably, I should always see that as partly my fault. The reason being is because he potentially wouldn't have made that mistake if I hadn't have trained the person sort of like the say of the director level, if you look at the hierarchy, you know, well, I need to train the people that I put in charge to then be good enough to train the people below them and everyone up the level should take the responsibility because if someone ultimately makes a mistake, it's ultimately my fault because there was either um, a lack of communication, a lack of understanding somewhere, a lack of training somewhere, you know, it, it's not all that person's fault. <clears throat> you know, yeah, fine, they may have done something wrong that is theirs, but it's also mine. I must have that because it helps me move forward, helps me move quicker. And instead of looking at it going, okay, that person's wrong, 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 like, let's get rid of them. It's, okay, I made a mistake. Okay, what can I do to make myself better? And then, okay, also go to them and go, hey, how can we make things easier for you? What can we do? And it's that kind of like that self-awareness and that self-improvement uh, that allows them the rest of the business to, you know, because if it starts at the top and you're good enough at communicating it, it should it should flow down like a bit like a waterfall in theory. <clears throat> I'm in complete agreement with you as far, and Gary, on being responsible and taking the ownership of everything in the business and i do also realize that sounds great and that's great theory how have you seen that in practice and what what uh kind of pitfalls have you run into if any so it it is it is challenging the more people you have uh which is probably that one possibly a little bit obvious but it's in the sense that you know, as you start to get more and more people, you start to get, you know, 50 or more and you've got to manage them all and look after them. The issue you've got is it's, it's, well, it's not that I would go and speak to the developer myself and be like, hey, yo, how can we help? Uh, I mean, yeah, fine. It's important to have those sort of like 15 minute check-ins every quarter or whenever you can. Obviously, it's based once again on the number of people you have, but it's good to have those check-ins even at the top level because you want to build that rapport, build that relationship, build that culture. But in terms of like actually resolving that in terms of like a day-to-day -day issue, it's all about looking at it and going, okay, fine. Really, all you need to do is speak to, kind of ask the question to the people uh, that you've put in charge. So if you're the owner of the business, it's all the C-level people, you know, CEO, CFO, CTO, whoever is, you know, important. In this instance, it would be the CTO. You'd speak to them and go, hey, you know, what, what happened? You know, you'd ask them and you'd educate them and train them and basically give them what they need 
to then pass that knowledge down to the people below them, the managers, supervisors, whatever, and so on and so forth until it gets down to the actual development team so that everyone can learn from it as a whole. And it's, um, yeah, it's challenging because like you say, you're going down so many tiers and obviously every tier gets wider. So there's more people to cover and it must be communicated well at the top because otherwise it can get diluted on the way down. Like, you know, a bit like Chinese whispers, you know, it's very, very complicated. It can be very difficult. And by the time it gets to the bottom, it means something else. So yeah, it's, uh, it's tough, but it's, it's very important to stick to in, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think it goes hand in hand with something else you mentioned earlier that you want to hire people that are, are better than you either at a specific task or that bring a lot to the role, that that makes it easier for one, for them to have ownership over their role to do a good job and to, to have those results uh, kind of roll forward. Uh, you also mentioned that you didn't have great examples of leadership in your prior careers or in other roles. Any any horror stories that are worth sharing or anything that was like, I'm definitely not going to do it this way when, when it's my turn? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, the simplest one is uh, a place I used to work where um, the, the business itself grew. Like we were, we did, we were, as, a, as a business, like financially cash flow wise, we did well. You know, we made, always made sales. We always had new projects coming through the door. Yeah, and we, the team was growing at a steady pace. However, um, the thing that just shocked me the most and was like something I learned very quickly and was like, I'm not going to be this way is that um, because I worked closely with the team, it was only a small team. It was about 10 of us. Um, I made friends with most of them and, you know, got close to a lot of them. And it was very apparent how unhappy the team actually was in terms of culture. It showed me how, how important it is because even though the business is doing really well and the business owners are getting loads of money and they're driving nice fancy cars and doing those cool things, the team were really stressed and miserable and it was like really, really tough. And, you know, we're all in the same thing. And it's one of those ones where it fell back onto the whole, I want to surround myself around the right people, but I'm spending, you know, 40 or more hours a week with these people and hardly any of them have anything positive to say when we're at work. And it makes the whole environment very hard to stay, you know, to stay really positive and motivated. And that was probably one of the biggest red flags I've ever seen because it's, and that was what I was like, that's never happening. I'm going to make sure the team is happy. Always ask them questions. How can we improve? Get the team involved in, in the improvement of the business and make them kind of like the center of it and me like, you know, they, I, I work for them more than they work for me kind of style. And then, you know, that's, you know, we, we now have people. It's, uh, it's proving to work out quite well. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a really good, not, not a good example for the people working there, but that's a good illustration of how, say, numbers, profit, the way, hey, we're growing, things must be going well, just assuming that culture is not important, the, the mindset of your employees, that it, you can kind of take advantage of that or just ignore it because those other things are, are trending in a positive direction. So I think that's a great example and probably one that you will think of as, as you start growing and you start or as you continue to make sure that the culture on your team, your organizations, is, is healthy and one that you'd want to work in. I wanted to ask, who who are you making apps for and what type of apps do do you often, do you specialize in? Okay, that's a good question because I, I okay, niching <laughs> something that I've thought about quite a bit and talked to quite a lot of people about it because it's, there are so many benefits to niching and also disadvantages, right? It's pros and cons to everything. However, for me, in terms of the apps that I build, you know, we build apps for, at the moment, kind of any kind of business, you know, we've gone anywhere from 
building an app for like a will writer or a business coach all the way through to building augmented reality apps, um, you know, in the process of building uh, like a crypto NFT game, you know, the, the limits are kind of, we can do anything. However, uh, now we're really focused on the marketing or really focused on the marketing for the business around, uh, around the trade sector. So, you know, we're talking uh, interior builders, scaffolding, any of these kind of construction oriented people, just because, you know, working with a few of the, we have a few clients in that sector and it's, there's so much growth. There's so much space, so much opportunity. And, you know, I don't see why we can't take advantage of that and really, really grow that industry in the tech world because that makes their life a lot easier because people are always out and about on the road because obviously that's, that's the way the job is, you know, whether you're laying bricks or building interior or an electrician or whatnot, you know, you're always out and about. So having tech is, you know, if you have something on your phone or a tablet, a lot of sort of construction companies now that much bigger are getting tablets. It's so much more like effective uh, than having to take like a, a folder with pen and paper and writing things down and all this and that. Like it's just, it's, it's there's so much value in it for them. And it makes things so much faster. And also another thing for them is uh, travel time. You know, they have to travel everywhere, all around. Like in the UK, you know, travel all up and down the country. And it's, sure, it's nowhere near as traveling from like state to state, but it's still a long, long way and all that. And right, and on top of that, you don't want them to have to go all the way to where they've got to go and have to come all the way back to the office just to hand out some paperwork. Whereas with tech, they could be anywhere. They could move from site to site without ever having to come back to base. Um, and all the information is constantly being flooded back into the, to the office to keep things moving. So yeah, I could kind of go onto that one for a long time, but that's the sector we're really sort of focusing on because it's, it's, um, there's a lot of opportunity there basically. Got it. And so, Luke, I, I agree with you. Technology is good, but I'm sure you've heard this. My company has a website. Why do I need an app? This is the, <laughs> ah, so many good questions. So, I love it. <laughs> because, uh, okay, so why would you need an app? First of all, let's start with websites. And that's the opposite, but it's important to mention. So a website is very, very powerful in the sense that it's um, – it's like your front page, right? Because you're not a brick and mortar store. You're not out on the high street or you know in the mall. You know, you that's what people see. Your website is your front page, your front window, right? Which is great, and that's really at the moment. Like I'm going to be completely honest, the website is still the first port of call. It's still the first place people will go when they hear about your brand. The first thing they'll do is Google you. It's not. Um, it's not natural yet for people to turn around and go, "Hey, have you got an app?" As the first response, it's always, "Hey, we've got a website." <clears throat> where the app then comes in is more around how you interact with the business on a more intimate level. So websites are great. You can have forms, you can send each other emails, that kind of thing. Um, but that's very, you know, we already do that. It's not that fantastic. It's not also that efficient sending emails. When it comes to having an app, that's where you look at it and go, okay, cool. How do I now want to interact with my client on a new level? So, you know, <clears throat> for example, even in my own business, right, you know, we're slowly developing an app. Uh, that's actually around showing clients where, they, where, they are, where their um, app is in, in the process of the project. You know, how we're getting on with development, what stage we're at. So they can log into it, well, eventually when we have it, they can log into the app and, and see all that progress. They can see you know, when the project started, when the timelines are, you know, when we expect to deliver things, all this sort of stuff. So that it saves, it actually cuts down the need for communication. So it saves them time, saves us time. 
also because it's live it, you know it will be in line with our system it will be 24 7 they can log in on a sunday night if they really want and go oh wait a minute where's my project and it'll be there you know whatever it says in the app is what it will say our end so it'll be the same and it just gives people that flexibility to go and be like really connected you know and another alternative let's say let's say you're a mortgage broker you sell mortgages or property or you know that that, that world right you know it's similar thing you want to show someone there on the process you know buying property getting a mortgage though that sort of thing is a very very long journey i mean by long we're talking six weeks eight weeks 12 weeks yes it's a few months off of your life to sort of dedicate and it can be very stressful for some people because it's normally it's one of the most it's probably one of the biggest financial spends most humans will ever do like buying a house unless you're a millionaire different story but for the most average human buying a house is a big investment so showing someone where they are in the process of a mortgage or a you know, house buy is helps alleviate a lot of pain for them and also saves the broker or the estate agent or you know having to answer the phone and tell them there's nothing they can do you know it is for it is you know or chasing you know the, the conversation can kind of go on forever there's so much benefit to wow well an app for work and it's very very industry specific but it's looking at really to summarize it of what we're trying to achieve. It's to look for where either you spend lots of time doing admin or just lots of time doing a task that you wish to automate um, or just ways to make the customer experience better. You know, there are, there are a couple of really powerful sort of things to look at. You know, how can we make our customers happier and make things smoother? So many good things that answer. I'm going to follow up, I hope on all of them. But the first thing I want to ask is is an app secure as opposed to a website or you know I, i'm worried about having all that information in one place sure, sure, sure. so realistically yes obviously it can depend on where you get developed some people might not be quite as strict on their security as others however you know generally apps should be secure for example all information that gets um, stored in the database which pretty much every app will do um, the database should be completely encrypted so if someone was to hack it and get all the data they can't really do a lot. They can't decrypt it. They can't find out what it is. Like all personal information shouldn't be, you know, it should be encrypted. So that's like step number one. Number two, you know, a lot of apps are behind, you know, logins, authentication. You have to have an account to use it. Most of them, not everything, but most. Um, and that's also quite important because, you know, once again, you can't have people say it's a, a community app. We can come in and post like, I don't know, Facebook or something. If you haven't got an account, they don't let you in because they don't want you to just post random things and be a nobody and be anonymous. You know, so that when you create an account, you now have a footprint. You know, even put a fake name and an email address, you can still be, without trying to make this sound too scary, you can still be tracked. They still know who you are because now if you've got IP addresses and all that sort of stuff, they can they know your location. So without going too deep into it and too sort of technical, they, they are mostly. It obviously just depends where it gets built. You know, that's kind of the only the only caveat is depends on who builds it. But realistically, we build our apps is secure because everything in, you can't. Uh, well, how to word it? You don't want to avoid security. It's so important. Cybersecurity is such a key and that's such a hot topic. You don't want to not be secure if that's a good way of wording it. So, yeah, it's normally yes. Very nice. And I wanted to, and I'm not sure exactly how I want to ask this, but I think this rolls back into the culture of, of your team and what you're striving to do. But I've written down looking to, uh, for employees, clients, looking to get better, be efficient, 
automate and are concerned with client interaction and customer experience. Uh, so those are things yep. that are important to what I would consider forward-thinking, forward-moving organizations. Is that is that part a key part of your communication to your perspective, prospective clients, to your employees? How often do you find yourself talking about those things? Well, realistically, so this is this is great because it's actually you can. I spent some time when I first started the business trying to understand how I could boil down an app into a few words, like any app on the planet, which is a bit, I know, a bit of an extreme task. But the reason being is because actually now after my end result was if you look at any app, like absolutely any app ever, um, they're all to do with some form of communication, be it you're on um, like an e-commerce app and buying clothes. You're not talking to someone in terms of that kind of communication, but you're communicating with the business by buying things and then you're leaving that trail of data by, you know, they now know that you've bought it, they're obviously going to ship it to you, but on top of that, they now have data to go, okay, we know this person now likes that and we can now maybe feed that to them more through advertising or through when they come back on the app, we can show them like special offers or treat them really well. Um, <clears throat> so it tends to be a topic of every conversation because no matter what it might be, I mean, there's a good one that I, I speak about quite a bit at the moment where we have a, a construction company, like an interior building, and they're very interested in like a clocking in and out app. It's very, very cool. Uh, it uses facial recognition, right? Once again, it's not like you're, it's all internal. So it's not like it's dealing with the customer or anything like that, but it's, um, we're still essentially communicating within the business to show people when you're turning up to work and when you're clocking out, right? Things that have to be done, but sometimes, don't always get done, which is why it has facial recognition. So it can't be, you can't get a friend to clock you in and you can't lie about it. It's also geolocated. So you have to be on site. You can't be at home or any or anywhere else. You have to be there, which once again, stops people from messing around. And the reason I mentioned this and talk about this for communication is it, it just makes everything much more streamlined. Cause you think if they, how they currently communicate their hours, it will be like, you know, it's written works, um, like written time logs that they have to like send in or go to the office and give in or you know, sending out text messages, which obviously is really hard to track. It just makes the whole communication thing so much smoother because it happens automatically. No one needs to talk to each other. It goes to a back-end web portal where they can view it all. And then you know, it's nice and simple. So I guess the short answer is it happens in pretty much every conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Very nice. And this kind of will help me. With your clients, do you find as part of the... Uh, development piece do your clients know what their app should look like what it should how it should be interacted with what they want or are you are you kind of building it for them with the idea it's like hey I, i've done this for a similar type clients or, i know this works what 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 have you what have you seen and as a as a prospect or somebody that might work with you do i need what do i need to know as far as my app this is a, yeah so when it comes to building apps most people actually don't know what they're going to look like most only I've only had a couple of clients that have ever handed me designs themselves and gone, this is what we want our app to look like, how I want it to work. It's been pretty rare. Um, and that's actually one of the one of the fun things I find about you know selling software is um, you've really got to understand what the client wants and what uh, what you're trying to solve for them and help them with <clears throat> to make them really be invested in the idea. Because the problem you have with software is it, you can't view it until it's being built. And obviously by then you've already signed up, you're already paying like a deposit or whatever, you know, you, you have, you're involved, you're already invested. So you, you, you know, and that's, that's kind of it. So you have to, uh, during the sort of, you know, boarding process, it's very much, you have to 
or I, I tend to try and be as visual as possible and be as clear as possible without using any technical language because first of all we don't need to know the technical stuff because it's not important they won't maybe not maybe won't understand it and two you know we want them to realize that they're getting the app that they want you know they may not know exactly what it's going to look like but they want to know that when we whatever we build will deliver all the things that they need to solve that problem so it's quite um an interesting conversation whenever you're going through the motions with people because like you say it's, it's very hard to envision what it will look like same with the website it's very hard to know what your website will look like until it's built um, yeah. It's very, yeah yeah that's a really that's does. a really powerful point to kind of build off the culture that you're building and the type of uh, business you want to run because as you said they're already invested by the time they're seeing what they want so you've got to be able to communicate that trust to them and say I understand what you're looking for. I can build that and I'll show that to you. So you have that built up by having the right team in place and by being able to be that visual uh, demonstration and to, to kind of communicate that up front. Uh, well done. Thank you. So I'm sure some of our listeners, I'm going to change a little bit here, are find themselves in a bad corporate culture or an environment where they don't want to be in. How did you make the move to become self-employed or, or go out on your own? What did that look like? To be honest, I'm going to give you the the truth here. So, which I don't always give out, it depends, but I, I'll, I'm happy to share it, right? All so, right. I I was actually um, I was fired from my last job, right? And that was what gave me the push. I mean, don't get me wrong. In my free time, when I was at university, when I was working uh, full time, I always, was always doing something on the side because I just I just always liked work. I always liked working. Um, in the end, like I say I worked for uh, for three years implementing Salesforce. Loved it, great job. Not great as a cold job, but great job. Um, got let go. Fine. So I took that leap. You know, I was sitting there going, "Okay, I've got some money in the bank. It's uh, it's enough to live on for a few months. We're good." I've never sold in my life. I'm really kind of like uh, technical. I'm not. Re I mean, I like people. I built that kind of uh, mentality over the last sort of like six or seven years working in retail and then working in consulting. Um, but I've never sold. I have no idea how to do sales. And I was like, I've got, only got a few months to try and find people and sell to them and get the money in the bank to keep living. Um, but anyway, when I, <laughs> when I got fired, it was like, okay, it was, uh, it was sort of a thought to action in one instant. I was like, sad for about 45 seconds. And I was like, I must go. I must take action and get moving. And that was when, you know, I just, I just um, registered the business anyway. Uh, the paid uh, the government in the UK basically to say that I own the name so I just started building a website and just ran with it and that was it you know it it was um as much as it might have seemed like a sad thing that happened I'm exceptionally grateful that it happened due to the fact that it was the push that I needed it was as if like life was telling me that like, this is the time you're not you're not going to make the leave. you're not going to leave because you got too you know I was too comfortable I had a very well paid job and things kept improving so I was like why would I leave I always wanted a business, so as if like life just pushed me through the door and was like, it's time to go. Um, and that's really how it came about, you know, um, for myself at least. <laughs> uh, that is fantastic, and I certainly appreciate the truthfulness behind that. So thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, knowing what you know now, anything that you change or would tell yourself back then uh, from, from the experience? Yes, many, many things. <laughs> However... I think the uh, what the number one thing I always say and, and I always think about now is is that the key word is tenacity, is never giving up, because through business it's extremely rewarding 
but also there are times where it is extremely painful be it stress you know worry this and that like there are points where you know especially during the start of phase where you're sort of like peaking and dropping like it's there are some tough times but if you can stay the course and you've got that kind of that willpower to push through every single down i've had in the business the positive on the other side has been like 10 times better you know whether it's financially or whatever you know get through it and then it's always better and that is the one thing i would tell any anyone even myself but anyone is if you can stick and this really i guess goes with anything in life but if you can stick the course when things get tough when you come out the other side it will be phenomenal well, I can almost guarantee it. <laughs> that that's good advice. And as you mentioned, Jocko and Gary V, I'm pretty certain they uh, they kind of uh, preach in a, in a similar vein. So uh, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of our last questions here is: We're somehow already on time. What do you do for fun, Luke? What do we do for fun? Wow, that is really off pace. Love it. So for me, the biggest thing I'm most obsessed with is martial arts. I absolutely love martial arts. I train two different martial arts. Uh, one of them is ninjutsu, which I've done for about 11 years now. Absolutely love it. And uh, the other one I am uh, very, very new to and getting back into is uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is uh, very addictive, very enjoyable, and a lot uh, a lot better for like exercise. And uh, they're both good for like mental awareness and other, other key soft skills that are in life. So uh, martial arts is okay. So there. if I want to start martial arts, where should I start? Because I've I have no background. I should do what first? <clears throat> I mean, really, it's down to your own personal preference, you know. Um, there's a lot of hype around, like, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like, it's very, very cool. It's got a lot of, it's got a really good history. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say it's for everyone. Really, what I would say is think about what, if you want to get into martial arts, right, think about what it is you most want to get out of it. Because some people want to do it for exercise. In that case, you know, you can look at things like boxing or... Muay Thai, I mean, Jiu-Jitsu to some degree. Um, if you're really interested in like the culture or the history, that's where like ninjutsu and Taekwondo and some of these more traditional martial arts are really well suited. Um, if you want to go and compete in like MMA, then, you know, you've got to look at like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you know, boxing, Taekwondo, you want to kind of cover all bases. Um, but yeah, I know that's not quite a straight answer, but it's uh, because there is so much choice uh, you know, also maybe as well good to experience lots of things because you've got judo, which is throwing, you've got boxing, which is striking, you've got jiu-jitsu, which is all like groundwork. You know, there's, uh, yeah, it's, there's so much to explain in a few seconds. <laughs> that, that's a good, that's a good answer as, as all of yours have been today. Uh, so I'll wrap up with where can our listeners find you if they would uh, like to learn more about you or Aptic? The best place to find me is on LinkedIn. If I can provide any sort of links and stuff, that would be the best way. And uh, yeah, you can directly, directly message me, connect with me. That's the best place for sure. Very nice. We'll include those links. And uh, Luke, thank you very much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. And I uh, look forward to next time. No worries, Mike. Thank you much for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. You got it.